0: Good evening, good morning. Uh, my name is uh, Thomas Steininger. I welcome you to Ready Wolf, our weekly webcast for Consciousness and Culture. I am happy to have with me Michelle Bowen, a theorist in the emerging field of P2 P theory and director and founder of the P2P Foundation, a global organisation of researchers working in collaboration in exploration of peer production, governance and property. He has authored a number of essays, including his thesis, The Political Economy of Peer Production, and also the essay, Peer-to-Peer Relationality. Michel Bowens, uh, welcome to Radio Wolf. Happy to be invited, thank you. you. Michel, if I may ask you, Peer-to-Peer, on one hand, I think many people know the term, but I'm not sure if, Everyone is exactly familiar what the term means and how peer-to-peer um, is uh, something that has a cultural relevance. You founded something uh, that's called peer-to-peer foundation, and uh, you seem you have a whole theory uh, about what peer-to-peer means for society. Can you let us know uh, peer-to-peer? Uh, what is this? And how yes. does this have an implication how we live together in this world right now
1: yeah so I, I'd like to give you a bit of a historical um, analogy so you know imagine we're living um few thousand years ago in a in a tribal environment. Uh, we lived in small communities, you know seventy people, one hundred and fifty people, and basically everybody was more or less you know related to you in some kinship way and uh, any problems that emerge in your society you can solve by discussing it uh, and going to see uh, the people so that was peer to peer but it was very much constrained by, by space and time um, and as soon as humanity expanded its scale uh, we basically had to invent hierarchy if only to manage communication. So if you have more than 150 people, this has been studied by scientists called Dunbar, an anthropologist called the Dunbar number, you can no longer remember and trust everybody. And the cost of communication becomes very expensive. You have to duplicate it uh, all the time. So basically, you know, we went into a hierarchical mode and this has been then you know for a few thousand years this was the dominant modality Uh, now we have invented a technology that allows us to communicate and even you know produce and distribute value together um, in this kind of virtual space right we basically almost anybody in the world today if they want to, and if they know each other's language, can connect with another person and create small communities without the limitations of the territory. Um, And I think this is an anthropological revolution. And so technically the term comes uh, from the uh, technology field because about 20 years ago, we started organizing our computers in that way. So in other words, if you remember you know, Napster, and, and that was the first one, uh, the idea that every computer would be autonomous and could freely connect with any other computer, that was called peer-to-peer. There were no longer servers in the middle. And so basically I applied this to the relational human field. We we are now in theory and, and very much in practice uh, able to engage in a peer-to-peer way uh, with people around joint projects, um, and so if you kind of look at more recent history, you could say there was a competition between national geographical states—that's you know the field of politics—and then we had the companies, which are kind of resource organizations. They are less constrained by geography, but they look at you know making profit by using resources. Then we had non-profit organizations that started globalizing, you know, think about Greenpeace and International. But these are still basically hierarchical organizations. So what we're doing now is different. When we have um, a joint project like doing free software and we are volunteering to work together, it has a lot of implications on the internal hierarchy. If we're both volunteering for a project um, and you're not paying me, I'm not paying you, then the, there is no natural authority between us. So we have to find other ways to organize our cooperation. And, and so this, this is kind of the work that humanity has been doing for 15 years, which is trying to invent new ways of being together, of organizing Based on this, you know, peer-to-peer principle.
0: Fantastic. The question that comes to my mind, uh, what you're describing sounds uh, very much like the, the honeymoon time of the internet, where we hoped that uh, a, a peer-to-peer relationship and peer-to-peer communication would really bring equality as some things that um, many people had a lot of hope 20 years ago. But things changed and peer-to-peer relationship um, became to a big degree also our hyper-related uh, uh, relationship that we have right now in the world that is again in a different way dominated by big technological companies who also used peer-to-peer uh, technology to uh, to organize their own browsers and, uh, and, and and their own system, but do it in a way with new market power. Our communication, uh, peer-to-peer communication, changed into Twitter communication and Facebook communication, and uh, it seems that uh, we see more now a reality that looks a little. Less utopian, more dystopian. In this, first,
1: would dystopian. you agree with that? And
0: how how do you think about these changes?
1: Yes, I, I fundamentally agree, but um, I think it shouldn't be seen in such stark terms of you know utopia versus dystopia. Um, I rather would see this times in terms of you know creating hybrid hybrid realities. Um, so I'm more optimistic than most people uh, because I I believe that even with Twitter, even with Facebook, even with YouTube, it has not fundamentally destroyed our ability for peer-to-peer connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, there is constraints. Yes, there is control. At the same time, fundamentally, the system has to take into account that we cannot do this. And so it's reorganizing its capacity for control based on a new situation. So imagine the 15th century. So before the 15th century, you have a monopoly on knowledge you know, by the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, only the monks are really literate. It takes a long time to write a book. Uh, most people don't speak Latin. So there is this kind of monopoly of knowledge. So then comes the invention of the printing press and all all other kinds of changes, um, that emerge. And then you have 300 years of of strife between, you know, the Catholics and the Reform, Reformation between, uh, you know, different kings and princes. But eventually a new society emerges. It's not an utopia, but it's an, it's, um, it's definitely a new form of society. So this is what you have to expect today, not an utopia, we are people, you know. we are monkeys and, 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 and saints at the same time. Um, we have to deal with power, with money, with, with states, with capital. Um, and so this is what, what the P2P Foundation wants to do, is not just say, okay, now that we have to peer-to-peer, we are going to uh, organize paradise for everyone. But rather to look at to look at what people are actually doing. So we we focus a lot on what we call seed forms. Mm-hmm. So my view is that we are in a transition period. So we had a stable system, um, which has become very unstable since 2008, mm-hmm. even more unstable now with COVID-19. And it's a type of civilization where at least in the West we organized some kind of agreement between capital and labor. you know we created welfare systems and these types of things, but at the cost of nature uh, so we we externalized we didn't want to see all the damage that we're doing to the natural world um, and basically now we we are moving to Eventually, and that's what we hope, of course, a new stable system that will be one that is based on a compact between humanity and nature uh, kind of partnership between the humans and other living, uh, you know, the other living beings. This is not going to be in any way easy transition, uh, but I do think that the peer-to-peer is a very big part of it. So, you know, the green is one one aspect and peer to peer is another aspect so, mm-hmm. so so our societies are going to have to deal with this
0: can you can you explain um and
1: yeah
0: can you explain uh this peer to peer revolution that we are that we are all experiencing i mean uh people who are into technology uh, yes. maybe in in a different way than people who are just more on 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 the, on the consumer and information side that are forms of of peer to peer collaboration that many people are not aware of uh, how 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 you can how you can work together on peer to peer virtual networks we, we we see new forms of um uh, labor being organized we see uh, we see new forms how democracy organizes itself we see new form how media information organizes itself the question is if if you just uh, from your own uh, understanding and from your researches, if you step back a little bit and look what's going on on in the big scale, like you described the transition from yes. the medieval times to early modernity, there was a system change going on that I think when you were living in the 1500s, you had not really an idea what you were in the midst in, and it was hard to yes. to see what is the new, what is uh, uh, emerging here and it was also kind of hard to, to really get it uh, get it down what is the old that is kind of grumbling if I it's maybe a little too much to ask because we are in the middle of it but uh, uh, people yes. who really are uh, uh, have well, looked at and thought about it a lot what do you think is the old that is kind of uh, falling apart right now and what in a bigger scale is the new that is emerging
1: Yes, so let let me give you first, again, an an historical analogy, but this time the 11th century. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have the decomposition of the Roman world, um, and until the 10th century, you know, a lot of instability, etc., etc. Once the uh, 11th century starts, we see the revival of uh, of the cities, so, basically, we had an agricultural revolution. Mm-hmm. We had a social revolution. And the surplus of the people in the countryside start going to the cities where they have, you know, no power, no no solidarity mechanisms, and they're going to organize themselves in guilds. Mm-hmm. And for 300 years, a lot of cities in Europe, in Western Europe especially, were actually managed by these uh, merchant and worker guilds, right? Mm-hmm. So they created commons, and and around that they created the institutional structure that worked for them. And there was some kind of merger between commons and markets that gave the medieval uh, free cities. Okay, so now this kind of of mechan- mechanism is for me is working in the virtual in a virtual way. So, the, if you look at the social structure, the people that are, have a stable uh, salary, that is diminishing every year. Mm-hmm. And the people who work on a, co- on a project basis, who are freelancers, autonomous workers, all, all kinds of uh, new statutes, they are increasing. And for these people, the digital commons are very important. And one of the things they're doing, and this is what I call peer production, is that people start creating commons together. So this can be free software. This can be uh, open designs. Um, This can be all kinds of mutualizations, because uh, we didn't talk about commons, but I I want to say a word about commons, actually.
0: I I just wanted to ask you, uh, because uh, you introduced the word, and uh I think it, yes. it is decisive for what you try to explain to yes. us.
1: And as we have not introduced yet, what is it, comments? Yes, yes, okay. So, uh, but let me finish the, what I was trying to explain here. Is that, so, people are now saying, okay, let's do Linux, let's do Arduino, let's do uh, Civic Drones. And they are now able to organize themselves and to globally scale projects um, and this is very visible, for example, in the COVID-19 crisis. I'm not sure about Germany, but in many Western countries, there is market and state failure. You know, people, hospitals don't have enough medical uh, supplies, and we have this amazing worldwide mobilization of maker makers and open source communities who are producing masks and PPE equipment and ventilators. Uh, so I think this is a good example of, of you know, what I'm talking about, this capacity of civil society to self-organize at scale. Okay, let, let me introduce the, the words, words "commons." Mm-hmm. So there's basically four ways in which we can exchange things in the world. One is uh, the gift economy. Uh, so I give something to you and you feel obligated to give something back to me. It doesn't have to be the same as in an exchange system but there is a reciprocity that is required the, another uh, method is redistribution so we have a state system and basically you pay taxes and in return we protect you and you know we create social security so that's redistribution and the third one is market and the fourth one is very important it's really common which is about creating shared resources mhm Um, So the first type of commons were natural resource commons. For example, fishermen will make an agreement about who can fish when and where so that the amount of fish is not overfished. You know, before we had capitalist enterprise, this was the way most fishing was done. Or in the mountain areas of Austria and Switzerland, the mountain flanks are commons. So it's the people in the village who manage it and who say, okay, this family can go on Mondays, this family can go on Tuesdays. You cannot go there for two months during winter time. So there's rules that are collectively arrived at.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so there's three things. One, a shared resource. Two, a community which creates and maintains it. And three, they do this with their own rules. So it's a resource, it's a human activity and choice, and it's also another way of governing society that is not state-based and not market-based. And this was always, this has always existed, it was dominant in the tribal civilizations, but it had a big part in feudal society as well. If you were a farmer in Germany, until, until the 1700s, you would have the land of the Lord, You'd have your own plot of land for the family and you had a common land. And actually the most important Catholic ritual in the Middle Ages was the, the, in English it's called the beating the bounds. So everybody in the parish would every year make, you know, circle around the commons of the village and establish, establish the local identity as a community around their common ground.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the problem is that capitalism has abolished this. So this is called the enclosures, became, became, became very prominent in the 16th century where the nature of property changed from something that was more communal to something that was absolute and personal. Mm-hmm. So then what you know, the owners would do is think, that, okay, I can make more money with sheep than with people, so I'm going to put you know, property markers and make sure that people are ejected. Um, so this happened in the 16th century and then created the conditions for the capitalist system to emerge. So this is important because the capitalist system was actually based on enclosing and privatizing the commons. This is why we know so little about it in the West. We are not, we no longer familiar with this, right? Because it's, it's being pushed to the marginal place. But because of the knowledge uh, infrastructure that we built, you know, the the internet, because people were suddenly able to work together online and create common knowledge resources, the commons has reentered our consciousness. And then in 2008, when the big financial crisis hit us, there was a second wave, an explosion of urban commoning. So I did a study in the city of Ghent, which is about 300,000 people in the north of Belgium. And we counted 500 urban commons projects in 2006 and 500 in 2016, mm-hmm. right? So there is a reemergence of the commons. It's, there's just no doubt in my mind about this, that this is, um, that is something that is becoming important again. And I want to make one important argument to you the only human institution that has been able historically to manage resources over the long term is not a market and is not a state but it's the commons if you don't have commons markets and states which are competitive systems will overuse their resources mm-hmm. um, and so we are back in a period of human history where we absolutely need to mutualize again in order to bring down the human footprint. Mm-hmm. And so this is, a, this is really why the commons are so important.
0: Yeah. So if I may come, that's fantastic. Uh, if I may come down uh, back to the question, um, what, what do you see is falling apart here and what, what do you see is emerging? You, you partly answered it by basically saying something that has gone to the background, the commons, to the development of uh, market economy, uh, capitalism, seems to be not now uh, with the uh, emergence of the digital world to uh, come new to our awareness and be part of, uh, of, of how we deal with each other. Can you go yes. a little more into the, the vision of what you're seeing, what is really happening beside the details? Or uh, if we connect the details and see the patterns behind the change that we are living in here right now. What is this change about?
1: So I think that every big civilizational change is a change in value system. So let me give you an example. We have the Roman system, which is based on slavery, and the rulers believe that work is for slaves. It has a negative connotation, and the word uh the latin word for work means yoke it's what you know you put on the the cattle um, the christians come with you know the new type of feudal medieval society they say ora et labora in other words we have to pray and to work that is a value revolution because suddenly work becomes positive um, So now we're in a similar situation where we had three, four hundred years in which value was Mm -hmm. based on extractive activity. So we have to extract natural resources from the land, from the ground, and we have to create profit from work. That creates value. What we do not take into account at all is what we call externalities. And they're not really externalities, but that's how economists call them. So all the damage that we do doesn't, is not part of our accounting system. So it's not something that we see. And all the work that is done, what I call regenerative work that, you know, caring for children, caring for the elderly, uh, improving the health of the soil, uh, this is Not recognized as a value creation activity, right? So what, what peer production and the commons bring uh, today as a new conception of value is the idea of contribution. So here's an example of what a a peer production community uh, will do. They will, they, they will tend to say, okay, we are all making this piece of free software together. Um, And we want to recognize all the people who contribute to this common project. And this is very important because if only some people profit from the work of the many, then certainly in a voluntary system, you know, most people will stop contributing. Uh, So basically the idea is that you create a membrane around your peer production community, around the commons, and you create a new way of distributing value internally. So this is called contributive accounting. And I did a study a few years ago, which was called P2P value. 75% of the 300 communities that we studied were practicing and experimenting with contributory accounting systems. So I hope you can see this is a very different way of deciding what is value. Right? And the way I see Human evolution occurring is when a system is in crisis and the old logics no longer work, then people look to alternatives and the pioneers are the people who are using the seed forms and eventually arrive at successful experiments of doing things differently.
0: Mm. No, I, 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 I see what you are, what, what you're pointing to. My question is uh, th- that definitely is happening, it's definitely very exciting, but is it more than a fringe reality? Or can you make an argument that this is something that really means something about systems change? Because these communities, they exist since the Internet exists and they have their contribution, but it seems that the main development goes into the big tech companies that the peer-to-peer development seems not to be the main way how the digital economy is organizing itself. You seem to see that there's something happening which shows that this is something that is already uh, showing us um, part of our future. How do you see that? Where do you see that?
1: Okay. So – so first, let, let me make kind of an argument about how this change uh, generally happens. So you first you have a minority. So you have people inventing patterns. Let's think about the 15th century. Uh, some some people invent purgatory, which is an ideological revolution because it suddenly allows Christians to lend money. Mm-hmm. Uh, some other people invent a printing press. Uh, and, you know, roving mobile printing companies that can make books very, very quickly in the different European cities that allow it. Um, some Franciscan monk in Italy invents double book accounting, double entry book accounting. So all this eventually, you know, will become a practice from the merchant class Uh, and eventually will evolve to become a fully grown capitalist system, right? So you have the patterns, then you have the subsystems, then you have some kind of crisis. So this is the second step. The first step is you're a minority in emergent system within a dominant system which is different. Then think about the 18th century. Suddenly we have a declining feudal class a growing uh, industrial class, and we have these absolute kings that keep the peace uh, because there is some kind of standoff in society and only then do we have the revolutions of the you know French and russian and, and all of that right so this is a bit the way I see it. We are now in the phase of emergence, but what we see is, for example, think about technology it 's a very good example the the new powerhouses are actually open source companies. So IBM is no longer you know, a hardware company. It's basically a Linux, Linux consulting company. Um, so for example, open source has already become basically the standard now in the software industry. Mm-hmm. And the old forces are trying to integrated in their power and business structures. Um, so you have to see it as a struggle, right? As um, um, so for me, if capitalism exists is because the capitalists in Europe, the merchants, had two three hundred years in their autonomous cities, so that you know they didn't have big emperors and kings that could constrain them. And so they created slowly a world that was adapted to their needs and and desires. And I think so what commoners are doing today is creating a world that corresponds to their needs and desires. Mm -hmm. So these these are not things that change from one day to another but they are long-term processes which become stronger and stronger. And you look for example there was a report in 2011 that the one sixth of the US economy was already depending on commons. So shared knowledge resources. And then that attracts, com- and that attracts companies that work around it. And so a new ecosystem emerges that is controlled by capital, but has to recognize and work with open source communities. So, when IBM joins uh, Linux, it can actually not dominate the Linux space. It has to take into account the whole ecosystem. And so, when you look at the blockchain space, I don't know if your readers will be familiar with this, uh, but, you know, kind of uh, the idea is a distributed ledger. So, the idea is to move from closed competitive entities to open collaborative systems. So, the blockchain is open source. Mm-hmm. it's also extractive so I have my own critiques uh, on the blockchain space but I think it's very important to see that what they're creating are essentially open collaborative systems that cannot be dominated by any single uh, company um, so what I'm trying to describe to you is a, is a multiple history where you have what I call net of capitals, so centralized companies trying to control, um, you know, peer-to-peer exchanges and communications, think Facebook, Google, Airbnb. This is already a big change because you normally a normal capitalist company hires people to work and then creates a profit through that, you know, labor as a commodity with salaries and stuff. You look at Facebook and Google and YouTube, they have very few few employees they're basically directly exploiting human cooperation, right? So then we have the blockchain space, which is distributed, but still profit oriented. So I call that distributed capitalism. This is a second form. Then we have a third form, which is all the people trying to create local economies doing uh, organic co-ops, energy co-ops, collective purchasing of food, uh, I, I think you're probably very familiar with that world in, in evolving. Yeah. And then we have the global open source communities, which, uh, you know, share knowledge at the global. So these four formats have different logics, but they're all co-evolving. And you are absolutely certain to say that today, you know, power is still very much concentrated and maybe more than before. But at the same time, the other world is not disappearing. It's also strengthening in some way.
0: But what is your uh, argument that uh, this other world uh, will kind of um, uh, be a a powerful force of the future? Because one could make the argument, yes, uh, uh, what you're describing uh, seems to be very true. Uh, This peer-to-peer thing, open source seems to be happening. The biggest open source uh, that I'm aware of, is Android. But Android is definitely uh, dominated in in complete dependence by a company like Google. Google, absolutely, yes. Um, You mentioned Uber and uh, and, and other companies who kind of use peer-to-peer realities but create new forms of dependence. So is the the new world that you're describing just a, a new world that uses peer-to-peer realities, but in the end, just reorganize our dependence in different uh, technological ways.
1: Well, the, the, the thing is you have to see this as both, you know, creation and struggle, right? So, uh, 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 so my view is the following. So right now we have problems that are exploited and controlled by capital. And we basically need to do what the workers in the the medieval cities did, which is we have to create market forms that are generative to the commons. So we have to create co-ops. We have to create solidarity economy. We have to create all kinds of purpose-driven, mission-oriented entities that can work and create value around the commons. This is not something that you can do fast. This is something that requires experimentation, um, but one of the strategies that I see as interesting is to find a connection between the open source model and the cooperative model uh, for example today we have more people working for co-ops than working for multinationals uh, so we actually have a capitalized uh, you know cooperative sector um, which could connect and kind of uh, find convergence with the open source models, um, but I, I guess my my most important argument is a negative argument: is that the current system, you know, based on infinite material growth, is simply not realistic option for the future. And so, so now we have two modes: we have neoliberal globalization. Which is in crisis, and actually, you look at the statistics. We are now actually, you know, deglobalizing already since 2008, and COVID-19 will strengthen this because a lot of countries are discovering they're, you know, too dependent and they want more resilience. The second model, which I don't think is a good model, is the a protectionist uh model, you know, Brexit, Trump, etc. And this is not a good model for me because it creates uh, you know, uh, win-lose competition uh, between s- nation states at a moment where actually we can only solve an, a huge number of issues at the global scale. Uh, and so, what we propose is a third model that we call cosmolocal production, where you say, okay, everything that is light is global and shared and everything that is heavy is relocalized to the measure it's possible. Mm-hmm. So to use a difficult word we, we talk about the, the subsidiarity of material production. Mm-hmm. Now, where does it make sense to relocalize? Uh, but at the same time, organize the knowledge at a global basis. You can see this, for example, in permaculture. Permaculture is definitely very local, but it's organized globally a uh, you know, the, if you want to do, if you want a certification, you have the global permaculture certification. People are constantly globally connecting with each other and sharing knowledge, their, their knowledge base. Um, I think if you look carefully for this, which is, of course, what I'm doing professionally, you will see this model emerging and it appears to be marginal. Because if you look at your city, you will see, you know, four, five, ten, fifteen permaculture projects. But think about it. Every city is doing this at the same time. Mm.
0: Now, that's, that's a really very fascinating argument. And as I'm listening to you, a term came to, uh, to me, and I have no idea if, if you're using the term, but it fits because you brought this negative argument how basically the old systems are obviously failing and many people are aware of this. And it seems also when you're describing permaculture how it's a very local thing but it's organizing itself in in a global peer-to-peer reality are we creating something like a global peer-to-peer consciousness sphere?
1: Yes, actually there is some proof of this. Um, so when we did this peer-to-peer value study um, one of the things that came out of it was that people were actually identifying with their projects on a global scale. And a lot of young people today, you know, if you talk talk to them on the street, they don't say, I work for the postal service. They will say, I do Linux, or I'm a maker, right? So this is a shift from from a labor consciousness to a contributory consciousness, So you are what you contribute to. So I think people increasingly, especially young people, you know, they look for a passionate pursuit, then they try to make a living with it. And their consciousness is already part of this idea that they're doing something together with other people in the whole world. And so that's what I call cosmolocal because you have both aspects at the same time.
0: So we shouldn't
1: think just international. We should think translocal and transnational. And just to finish this idea, we don't necessarily need nation states to do this. We could, for example, have a shared mobility co-op, like Fairbnb. It's, a, you know, like an alternative to Airbnb. And a number of cities in the world could say, we want to promote Fairbnb because it has better effects on our local economy than airbnb which creates certification and all kinds of social issues right so they create what i call a protocol cooperative you know uh, they, a joint software base that can be used by all participating cities so suddenly you actually have created a new power base right that is not local that is not national but it is translocal so these are the new forms of governance we have to be looking for, and I, I know this is really happening. Um, for example, you know, this is small examples. Barcelona and Amsterdam are sharing their uh, cooperative housing uh, experience. Mm-hmm. Um, very interestingly, in Italy, uh, some years ago they introduced a um, constitutional amendment. Around subsidiarity, which means that, you know, the locus level is the best for, you know, administra- administration purposes. This was used by the city of Bologna a few years ago to create a public commons cooperation protocol. It's called the Bologna regulation for the care and regeneration of the urban commons. This has now been copied by 250 cities and has mobilized 1 million Italian people in doing urban community
0: this is this is really uh, very fascinating because if i may uh, just use this example that you're bringing and i may I connect yes. it also to the permaculture that you were bringing before because it has the same pattern uh, it's, a, yes. it's a local event that seems to uh, make a lot of sense and, and ha- has a power and it is uh, spreading globally through a peer-to-peer relationship uh, like permaculture, uh, uh, which uh, originally came from Australia and now is basically spreading all yeah. over the world. Or this example of, from, from Bologna that I had no idea of that it exists. You saying it's copied by cities around the world. there is a, a commons that maybe we have not um, uh, talked about, but seems to be related uh, I would call it, uh, 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 in lack of a better word, the commons of consciousness. Being aware of something together on a global scale, things that work locally, and we contribute as we are contributing in this conversation right now. You're sitting in Thailand, I'm sitting in Germany. We're having a a conversation about the change of our society and we are contributing, uh, particularly you are contributing with your experience to an understanding of what's going on, our listeners who have their own backgrounds and their own conversations are profiting from your contribution, but it is an ongoing share experience that in the common sphere of the uh, digital uh, sphere and consciousness is building itself as a commons. Can we talk uh, talk about this in this way?
1: Yes, yes. So so the first thing I want to say is that, you know, what we're doing is we're creating Protocolary organizations. In other words, we're, we're sharing protocols. Think about Occupy and 15M. These were political movements that said, okay, we are going to occupy the square. We're going to use mic check. We're going to use XYZ. And if you accepted these protocols, you could say to yourself, I'm an Occupy, right? And they mobilized millions of people for, you know, about a year and a half. Um, the Yellow Vests is another example. The 15M movement in Spain, which mobilized 15 million people. Now, they're not perfect because they are not productive organizations. So as soon as the political battle kind of was you know, either derailed or lost, they imploded. But people that are doing permaculture. They're actually constructing something together. Right? And I often say commoning is caring. And so You have a shared object. You all love the shared object and that creates a link between all of us. So this is how we organize. We organize by affinity around shared projects. And we're no longer limited by geography in spreading those practices. This is very important. This this can now go very, very fast. Something that works in one place can be copied in another place you know, they they tinker with it they improve it um, and this is happening with many many things and, and this is it's a good example so the, what I want you to kind of see is we have a mainstream system which is weakening and we have an emergent P2P ecosystem which is strengthening mm-hmm. and at some point think about the Roman Empire suddenly the cities were imploding so where do you go? Well, you either join a feudal lord who offers you protection or you join a monastery. Right? Which organized up to 25% of the population at some point. So it's because they already exist seed forms that they could kind of sell at some point. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Sister Sensius, which is a very good example. Um, you know this is a a Catholic order, mm-hmm. and they they have uh, hermit monks and, and other monks, so uh, you have twelve hermit monks twenty four uh, normal monks, and when they reached forty eight they had to split now in about seventy years, you had th- thousands of these monasteries all over Europe. Responsible for 90% of technological innovation and, you know, 70% of the new land that was developed in Europe in those centuries, right? So this is a very interesting example because now, for example, we have maker movements, we have fab labs, we have co-working spaces. And, and there's one thing you, you one might to know, it's called multi-factory model. These are craftspeople who organize themselves in an open source way. They look for, f- you know, old factories that they can take over. And there's 120 of them in Europe. And visible factory, right? This is their contributory identity. They're doing something good for the world at the same time. And the way you organize yourself, yes, so sorry. Okay, yeah.
0: No, no, it's it's very fascinating. We, we are also at the end of our time. Yeah. Um, uh, and um, I, I very much appreciate that you bring all these positive examples because they just show that something is real going on. And I think you're also showing the potential of this and how this really holds the potential of uh, birthing something new for, yes. for all of us. If people want to connect more with your work and your thinking um, – Maybe this is the last question. Where should they look? Uh, uh, where can they find more about your okay. ideas of peer to peer and comments?
1: Okay, first of all, I will share my easy email, which is michelle at p2pfoundation.net. Michelle at p2pfoundation.net. So I'll, I'll, you know, I'll try to answer all the emails. The second thing is we have a wiki wiki.p2pfoundation.net with 22,000 articles. And it's it's very well organized. For example, I'm sure you're not familiar with it, but I have a section on P2P accounting with 400 examples. Interesting. Um, I have a section on facilitation methods. I have a section on participatory spirituality methods. Um, so everything that's peer-to-peer in the commons in every domain of human activity, we try to monitor and learn from. And you find that on p2pfoundation.net.
0: Michel, thank you so much for this conversation. And I think you really also made your case that uh, something really uh, important is going on here. And there's a lot of potential. And it's worth looking because uh, it is part of what is changing our society. Thank you very much for your time. Thank
1: you. For your thank you for your interest. And uh, I hope you're. Your readers will be interested as well.
0: (laughs) Thank you.